Our text this morning is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 20, and we're going to really be looking at verses, 18, uh, verses 11 through 18, but for context and to hear this uh, beautiful Easter beginning, let's start with verse 1 of John chapter 20. If you're using one of the Bibles we provide, you'll find this on page 906. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The Gospel of Christ. There is one thing that I can say for certain about every one of us in this room, whether young or old, rich or poor, strong or weak, every single one of us is going to die. And therefore, it should matter to us whether this story of Jesus' resurrection is simply a myth told in an earlier, more credulous age, or whether it is true and was told as it was by witnesses who were willing to give their lives to face threatening and torture and death, and not one of them ever recant the story because they had seen him dead. And a few days later, 
had seen him alive, and then over a period of 40 days had talked and eaten and spent time with him. If it is true that life began again, that history, in effect, began again, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was, as it were, another big bang, beginning, new creation, making, in Paul's words, all things new. If that's true, then the second question we should ask is how can His victory become my victory? How can His triumph over death, His breaking death's power, become mine and come to empower the lives of those whom I love and those whom I ought to love, all those who've been entrusted to me. I think that most of us at this point tend to lapse back into religion. I can't tell you how many times over 40 years of ministry I have heard people say to me, I find the story of Jesus beautiful and compelling, and yet... I just don't deserve His grace. If, if you knew my story, if you knew the things I've done, you'd realize that I'm just not a candidate for this. And I confess that at times in my own heart, in times when I've profoundly disappointed myself, I've felt those stirrings of that same response, which is, on the very face of it, a complete misunderstanding or a complete denial of the meaning of the word grace. Because grace deserved is not grace. Grace by definition is God's favor toward those who absolutely do not deserve it. That's what makes it grace, amazing grace. And so I hope this morning, over the next few minutes, simply to underline four beautiful, rich, encouraging themes that arise very clearly in the verses that we read this morning. And the first one is this. Jesus specializes in broken people. He specializes in the kinds of people that religion rejects. The kinds of people who aren't good enough. Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. Because, as the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so he shows us in this very moment of his first resurrection appearance that he comes for the broken. Have you ever wondered why Jesus chose first to reveal himself to Mary Magdalene? After all, the two pillar apostles, Peter and John, ran to the tomb, looked in, saw simply the empty tomb and the grave clothes, and left. Why did he not reveal himself to them? They were the first that he'd called, they and their two brothers. Why? We don't know nearly as much about Mary Magdalene as uh, movies and stories would lead us to believe. 
we really only know two facts about her. One is that she was from the town of Magdala, which was on the Sea of Galilee just north of Tiberias. And we know that she was a woman who had been possessed of seven demons. However you understand that, she'd been broken, possessed of seven demons, and Jesus had set her free. And she was now part of his inner band of disciples. Mary Magdalene appears more often in the Gospels than any of the other disciples except Peter, James, and John. Her name is spoken of there in the group around Jesus or with Jesus' mother and those women closest to Jesus. She seems to have become a kind of sister to him. And of course, because she'd been demon-possessed, stories are told, we frequently are, are taught that she'd been a prostitute or had been this, that, or the other thing. The reality is we don't know, and I'm glad we don't know, because whatever is my brokenness or yours, we can look at Mary and say, maybe she struggled with exactly the same thing that I'm struggling with. Maybe she was broken right where I'm broken. And we see that Jesus had come for her, and it saved her. Religious people didn't go after the demon-possessed unless it was a family member, and then they wrung their hands and wondered how to deal with it. But even if a person was delivered, they had a past, they had a history that was unsavory. And so, yes, uh, they used to be a mess, but, you know, kind of they can... They can stay out on the edges, but not the inner band. But Jesus had drawn her into the very core. And when all his guys who'd been arguing over who was greatest all the way up the road finally came to grips with the fact that he was going to be crucified and that even Peter couldn't defend him with a sword but was going to have to follow after him, no thanks, they all ran, except it seems for John who appears with his mother at the foot of the cross, but the women were there. Mary Magdalene was there. And so we see Jesus choose her as the first one to receive a resurrection appearance and the great good news that the power of death had been broken. I don't know why you're here this morning, whether you wanted to have dinner with family, so this is what you got to pay to have dinner, uh, or whether just you like to go Easter, or whether you're a regular. But if for one moment you think that you've got to get your stuff together before Jesus can lay hold of your life and turn everything upside down, you're missing. You're missing the very first and most obvious point here. Jesus specializes in broken people like you and me. And almost in a sense, the worse you are, the more wonderfully His glory is displayed when He shows you His love and makes you His own. Second thing that I would underscore is that Jesus meets us where we are, but then He takes us deeper. After the fellows had left, Mary looked into the tomb. And she now saw the messengers, angelos, angel, simply means messenger. There were these messengers from God. And they look at her and say, woman, why are you weeping? They ask the obvious question. They meet her where she is. 
And she says, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know what they've done with the body. And, and then she turns around, and there's a man standing there in the shadows. And he says, woman, why are you weeping? Again, the same question. He meets her right where she is. She's weeping. Her heart is broken. Why are you weeping? But he doesn't stop there. He says, whom are you seeking? And when our hearts are breaking, that's really the deeper question that needs to be asked. Why is your heart broken? Why has this thing so unutterably unwound you? What is it that you were looking for? What is the great disappointment? Who has let you down? Whom were you trusting? Whom had you perhaps put more on than any mere mortal can bear? What had you trusted for your security? What had you hoped would give your life meaning and significance? And now all of that is shattered and you stand there just weeping and devastated. Woman, whom do you seek? And I would ask you, what wakes you up at 3 a.m. with a knot in your stomach and a choke in your throat? And why? Why are you weeping? And what's under that weeping? What were you hoping that's now come to pieces. Are you going through life year after year hoping for what can only in the end disappoint? Even the best gifts of God in the end will disappoint if we've put all the weight of the meaning of our lives on them. Every marriage is going to be unable to bear the support of making your life meaningful. No child can bear that weight of making your life worth living, nor any parent, nor any success, nor anything. In the end, we have to ask ourselves, why is it that my heart is broken by this? What is it that I'm really seeking. And then thirdly, I love the way that Jesus begins to resolve this, the way that he reveals himself to her. He does not do what we would expect him to do. He does not step into the light and say, don't you recognize me? Here I am. Instead, he simply calls her name. Mary. And when he calls her name, she knows that all is well, that he is alive, that her life has not been tied to a false god, to a lie, that all that she'd hoped and dreamed of actually is real and true. I can believe that God loves this vast and glorious creation, this cosmos unthinkable in its vastness, still for us immeasurable. 
and glorious. I can imagine the Creator looking and delighting as the Scriptures depict Him, delighting in what He's made. I can believe that He just looks at that and loves it. I can believe that God, looking at at the world today of some over seven billion people now, and seeing places where people are rejoicing and singing His praises, and others where people are ground down by oppression, and others where people are rebelling and, and living for nothing and throwing away the glorious gifts He's given, and look at it all as a parent looks at a large family with his heart going out to every group there, to the the whole and the broken alike, and looking and loving this broken world. And I can imagine him loving you and offering you every good thing because I don't know you as well as I know myself. But I know myself. And apart from grace, I cannot conceive why he would love me, why he would want to make me his child. And yet one day, he called my name, John. And suddenly, everything changed. Life began again. Didn't answer all my questions, still hasn't. I used to think, I used to say when I was a young pastor, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord this. <laughs> you know, now I know I'll just be on my face in worship. He hasn't resolved all the things that I wish he'd resolve to make my life easier. He hasn't often answered my prayers the way that I actually was trying to explain to him, this is really what you need to do here. But from the day he called my name, I've known that he was with me and would never leave me, never forsake me, and could say, relate with Mary, I've seen the Lord. I remember years ago, those of you old enough to remember Watergate will remember the name Chuck Colson. Colson was Richard Nixon's hatchet man. He would do anything. He would, as they said, run over his grandmother for Richard Nixon. And uh, the very liberal Kennedy Democrat Senator Harold Hughes, who was a wonderful Christian, hated Chuck Colson with passion. And when he learned, if you remember the story, Colson was swept up with the Watergate uh, ills and ended up serving time in jail, came to know Christ. When Harold Hughes learned that Chuck Colson had received Christ, his first response was, no, I don't want Colson as my brother in Christ. I don't want to have to love him. His second response was to go seek him out and become one of his closest friends and really walk with him on his journey. And I remember watching an interview that the two unlikely friends, Colson and Hughes, had uh, with, um, what's his name, that uh, badly lapsed uh, Southern Baptist um, Moyers, Bill Moyers. 
uh, Bill Moyers, who grew up Southern Baptist, but got over it. Um, and Moyers was interviewing them. And he said, yeah, yeah, born again, born again. I, I did that when I was a kid. I mean, I walked the aisle in the Baptist church. Yeah, I had all the feelings. Yeah, You know, that's childhood. But I want to talk to you about now. I'll never forget. Hughes just looked at him for a minute and he said, no, Bill, it really isn't like that at all. Once I was blind, but now I see. That's the difference. You may have gone to church all your life, but if you yet heard him call your name in the depth of your heart, if you yet met him on the road, do you know that he's with you today? That's what Easter's about. It's that or nothing. Final thing is the most wonderful of all, I think. It's, it's fun reading some of the church fathers on this passage because most of them made a very uh, obvious, they, they had to make some effort and were kind of embarrassed about it, but they all in one way or another said, so we must admit that actually the first apostle was a woman, and this woman of all women, this woman who'd been possessed with seven demons and, you know, was a woman with a sketchy past, and yet an apostle was someone who told the message. It meant to be sent with the message of good news that Christ was risen. She was the first one. Jesus said to her, go, tell my brothers. Tell my brothers that I go before them. Tell my brothers that I'm alive. And she went and she told them. And do you know what? Whoever you are, whatever background you have, however badly you have lived and failed, you are exhibit A of the kind of person that Jesus loves to save and draw close to his heart. And if he's called your name, he's entrusted you with that same message. He says to you, as he said to Mary, now go tell them that you've seen me. You don't have to argue in my defense. You don't have to study books and try to do the work of apologists. God has his own lawyers. Thank God for them. But most of us are not his lawyers. We're his witnesses. And a witness just tells what we've seen. Christ has met you on the way. He's telling you, go tell them. Tell them I'm alive. Tell them I'll meet them. Have you met him on the road? If you have, then because Christ is risen, you can face whatever comes. You can even say with the Apostle Paul, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you can say that, then truly for you, the rest of life will be Easter tide.